Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais in Ontario, Canada, with episode number 54 of The Yacking Show. And this is where we talk about life, business, and more, and we bring you tips and ideas for the changing world we're living in. As always, we have a lineup of interesting guests, and today's is no exception. This is going to be enjoyable and interesting and helpful to a lot of people in our part of the world and overseas and everywhere else. So enough waffling for me. It's my job now to introduce our co-host, and I will welcome Kathleen. Hi, Kathleen. How are you doing today? Hello, Peter. I'm doing great. Thank you. And thank all of you for joining us. And as per usual, we so enjoy your comments. So please keep them coming. Um, and if anyone out there is interested in being a guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. We welcome that. And as Peter mentioned, we do indeed have a special guest with us today. His name is Jack Litchfield, and he is the co-founder and CSO of Job Junction. Welcome, Jack. How are you? Great. Thanks so much for having me, Kathleen. Pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, always great finding new ways to stay connected in these interesting times. Um, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So, so, Jack, let's jump right into it. Can you please tell our audience a little bit about yourself and, and how you started Job Junction? Yeah, absolutely. So Job Junction, we're an online talent marketplace um, merged into a kind of a holistic or full service recruitment service. Uh, so how that kind of came to be started out with uh, my experiences in university. Um, I was heavily involved in student politics and a student leader. Um, that got me into federal and provincial advocacy on student issues like debt and tuition. At the same time, my father was a serial entrepreneur and former business journalist. And between my student leadership and advocacy experiences and his experiences, I got a unique perspective on this massive socioeconomic problem that Canada faces called the labor market disconnect. And essentially that equates to a communication problem between um, schools and job seekers on the one hand and then employers on the other in terms of expectation management and skill building to properly align talent pipelines to workforce demands. So we saw that problem unfolding for a while and saw this as a good way to potentially address multiple issues at once by creating a an online marketplace to serve a labor market signaling function, better connecting job seekers and skill pools with industry proactively to, to better align um, talent to demand. Mm. Wow. Very good. So you've got the best of both worlds. You've got a father who's had a foot in one camp and then you've had the experience of, of being involved in, in all sorts of things in university. Very good. And now you've combined that. Great. Tell me a little more about, or tell our listeners a little more about what you, you see as a labor market disconnect, particularly in Canada. Yeah, absolutely. And and please let me preface this with the fact that obviously COVID has had massive impact on the Canadian economy and that a lot of the uh, typical symptoms of this disconnect are just being uh, exacerbated by current circumstances. Mm -hmm. And forgive me if some of my statistics are a little dated by the fact that they're pre-pandemic. Uh, but traditionally in Canada, we see about uh, 42 percent of Canadian companies reporting year over year that they struggle to find the talent they need to hire to keep their growth on track and that translates to about a 75 percent productivity quotient compared to American companies so in other words we're only um, 
competing at 75% versus how productive they are. And that's largely due to this skills gap. On the other side of the equation, Canadian graduates year over year report that on average, about 40% of them are either under or unemployed. And that seems mind boggling that you can have a roughly 40% skills gap and a 40% unemployed workforce at the same time. Obviously, that's just entry level, but uh, very, very questionable. And then just in Ontario alone, that translates to about a $27 billion GDP uh, shortfall and another almost $4 billion in lost tax revenue. Wow. Whoa. That's quite incredible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, wow. That, that is, well, if, interesting. Can you tell us more about your full service recruitment? Uh, you have recruitment services and you, you are a full service. Can you expand on that and tell us more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So when we set out initially, uh, we were hyper-focused on entry level and particularly the uh, postgraduate talent marketplace. So helping recent grads get jobs faster, mitigate that student debt and fix that 42% or sorry, 40% under unemployment statistic. Uh, We quickly discovered that although that's a a high demand area, monetizing student recruitment is somewhat difficult. So we've kind of evolved from there into servicing all levels of the market from helping startups source uh, student talent on internships and co-op placements and that kind of thing, all the way through to um, recruiting senior level talent, uh, you know, highly experienced software developers or um, sales teams, uh, even like into management and director roles as well. Um, And again, just we're trying to be able to provide any kind of talent that a growing company in the region needs to acquire to keep their growth on track. And Mm -hmm. we quickly realized that that meant we need to expand our scope. Right. Yeah, I guess, I guess you do. Um, I'm gonna, I, if we get time, I want to go back to that labor market disconnect, but let's move, mm-hmm. move on. We've got so much that you can help our listeners with. Let's look at something else. Uh, in a previous discussion, you were talking about digital, digital first recruiting. Uh, so what are some of the difficulties in adapting, particularly for my generation, you know, guys of now 60, uh, who are still in business and are so used to 50 years of interviewing people across a desk or in a restaurant over at Tim Horton, whatever. And now it's all going digital. So how do you look at that? Great question, Peter. And yeah, to, to get into that, I mean, even before COVID, we were starting to see trends moving in that direction. One sure. of the big burning questions on people's minds when they're trying to optimize hiring processes is what is my cost of hiring? How many Uh, hours of work go into acquiring Mm -hmm. a candidate and what can we be doing to minimize that to make the process more efficient. Obviously COVID's made that uh, a much more pressing priority. People don't want extra exposure. You don't want to be bringing people into the office any earlier than you have to. And that's what's pushing us in this direction that I call digital first recruitment. Essentially all of the recruitment channels are now digital, be it virtual job fairs, online job boards, outsourced third-party recruitment services, uh, social media referrals and word of mouth, and anything's always gonna get funneled into those digital channels. And even all the companies are using online application portals now, and in many cases, automated screening to save people hours. Uh, And that translates to a lot of changes in how our hiring processes work. It means that concepts like employer brand equity Uh, What do I look like in terms of marketing my company to a candidate? Uh, It means that things like candidate experience, how a candidate experiences my 
recruiting process become much more important concepts in being able to cut through the noise in a digital marketplace to find the people you need to hire to keep your growth on track. Okay. Okay. Well, quick, quick, sorry, Kathleen, quick subsidiary one. This is a very quick one. You know, again, my generation going back when we, when I was in the corporate world in my forties and fifties and we looked for lower to middle management type guys, we'd put the word out amongst our colleagues. So, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you know, any good guys, um, perhaps you play golf with that are, are looking to move up a level you know, in the company they're in. And, and they'd say, well, yeah, we, we remember Fred Brown, um, yeah, we could get him to contact you. And a lot of yep. management jobs were, were found and managers were hired by that old boy network and old mm-hmm. girl network as it emerged. Is that sort of died now? Um, that's a great question. And I would say there's a couple components to that. Obviously, referral networks are always going to stay valuable as an ancillary means of kind of augmenting your talent pipelines, mm-hmm. um, particularly in moments of economic uncertainty, like we're experiencing with COVID. Those tend to be a little bit less impactful. We're seeing that gainfully employed people are prioritizing job security a lot over right. advancement right now. And that makes it difficult to poach your friend from a, another firm to a new company for a promotion it's still possible especially if you're able to tie it to um, tangible benefits that are becoming increasingly important we're seeing a massive preference for ability to work from home right. and uh, offerings of mental health benefits in particular the longer this pandemic drags out the more impactful that becomes so if your friend bob is at a company where they have to show up to the office every day still and they're not getting any of those benefits and they can go to a work from home situation with those benefits. Obviously that's still gonna be compelling. Uh, But yeah, depending on the role, we are seeing it being a lot more difficult doing those distributed network recruitment strategies right now, just because of the rigidity that a pandemic applies to the labor market. Right, okay, thank you. Over to Kathleen. Well, you touched on this briefly about employer Mm. brand equity, Jack. Can you delve a little bit deeper into that and why it's so important? Yeah, absolutely. And I'd love to maybe preface that with um, just a little tidbit about the intellectual framework that we like to apply to recruitment processes. Um, I find it hugely impactful to look at recruitment the same way that you look at sales from a strategic lens. So thinking about it as a proactive pipeline that you need to be managing and cultivating Mm -hmm. to meet your needs and anticipating those needs. Uh, A sales team doesn't wait until the company's out of money to start developing new opportunities, but so often in HR, especially in the tech corridor, uh, mostly due to workload issues, we see it being very retroactive. You see a lot of HR reps talking about themselves as being firefighters and they're spending all their time dealing with issues like churn and leaves, and that doesn't leave them a lot of bandwidth to proactively cultivate talent. Employer brand equity is a passive way that can help you do that. And it should be viewed as the marketing to your sales, but in a recruitment capacity. So the marketing team cultivates your brand equity to your customers. Employer brand is doing the same thing for the people that you want to target for hiring processes. So some examples of that would be um, making a dedicated social media kind of sub feed that talks about the work culture at your company and is actively showcasing how great it is to work there, those kinds of things. Excellent. Thank you. Interesting one. Okay. Yeah. Good one. Uh, Here's one for you. That's perhaps a little unfair, but um, we all have crystal balls we gaze into to try and work out what's happening. So you've got your crystal ball there, Jack. What what do you see? There's two parts to the question. If Mm -hmm. you look ahead a year or two, um, 
and and we hope that most of the effects of the pandemic are gone, but obviously things are going to still remain different to what they are now. What do you see the uh, for entry level prospects in the job market and and in fact the employment landscape in general in a year or two's time after the pandemic? Yeah, great question. Um, I think that can be addressed with a multifaceted answer as well. And that just comes down to different employment verticals, right? So okay. we've seen some industries that have been more or less um, non-disrupted compared to mm -hmm. the, the economy at large, those mostly being software development and uh, what's been identified as essential services. Obviously, they still need to keep hiring to maintain business. And in some cases, we've even seen companies mushroom because of the pandemic and have massive intakes in hiring. Uh, some of the ones that have been very notable for that were um, any companies doing PPE manufacturing, mm -hmm. um, hand sanitizer manufacturing, that kind of stuff. But those are a lot of hands-on physical jobs. Uh, most of our specialization is more into white-collar employment. Um, we're seeing software development and data roles kind of flatlining, maintaining steady. There's going to be some slight growth as normal with all the startups and scale-ups maintaining their normal demand more or less after the hiring freeze dies down. And we've already just already seen unemployment levels go down over almost 8% since the peak of the virus. So mm -hmm. it's trending in the right direction there. Again, it's everybody's guess with this second wave uh, dialogue going around that's kind of been started with back to school. But yeah, to your true question here about the one to two year outlook, uh, I see, especially for entry level, a lot of gains coming back in business facing roles. So particularly sales and marketing, a lot of companies, that was one of the first areas that they did layoffs was the entry level sales and marketing positions. Yeah. Figure you've got to cut down your overhead. That's what's going to get trimmed first. But when you need to really turn the faucets back on and get that cash flow going, those are the ones that are going to be getting hired aggressively. Um, we're also seeing some probably more moderate but long-term gains in HR as we move to more companies focusing on work from home practices and the need for a more distributed and advanced HR network to handle that appropriately. And again, the changes we already talked about in recruitment means that you're going to need more specialized roles, especially as companies get larger to address those needs. Mm -hmm. Okay. But in, sorry, if I can just continue in some industries, mm -hmm. hospitality, tourism, um, mm -hmm. cruise lines, air travel. It, I, my, my view is those are going to be a bit bleak for some time to come, right? Yeah, I completely agree with that. And uh, we've been trying to address that as an organization by offering a lot of uh, easy access professional development tools. Um, and that's something that I'm trying to share and expand across industries too with anybody else offering similar services. The ability to reskill is vital right now. And there are some industries that are never going to be the same as a result of, of what's happened here just with new public health regulations and norms and people who were relying on those industries as career pathways are going to need to get creative. And it, there's no time like the present to be diversifying your skill set, picking up new abilities to make yourself more employable when things start to normalize and the plethora of government grants and, and uh, funding services right now that can offset lost income, put you in a great position to pick up some of those skills. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Kathleen, over to you. Jack, from a candidate's experience or perspective, why, why would um, attrition be more likely in a virtual environment? Yeah, great question. So again, that just comes back to this whole digital first hiring mentality. Um, the, the old school physical hiring that we were doing adds 
a much higher degree of, of humanization to the process. You put a name to a face earlier in the process. Uh, there's more body language that you can pick up on and that builds more of a bond between candidate and recruiter. Um, that doesn't happen as much in a digital process and some of the older companies that don't have sweeping uh, video conferencing tools are even just doing phone interviews for the first few stages and that makes things a lot more anonymous. And people will talk about how that could be beneficial from a diversity hiring perspective, potentially, but it also makes it a lot more likely for candidates to self-select out of the process. And again, going back to that employer brand piece we were talking about earlier, if a company relied heavily on an office tour and things like that to showcase mm -hmm. what working for them is like, they don't have that luxury anymore. Sure. And you may lose a candidate to a company that does have a good online presence that showcases those details. Great point. Yeah. yeah, very good point. Very good point. I'm going off in a different direction now because you've been talking about um, job seeking employment prospects in the digital age mm -hmm. and a lot of people working remotely, working from home. So with you sitting where you are in Ontario, right, mm -hmm. uh, you, you could theoretically help anyone in, anywhere in the world find a job. You could help someone from Texas get a good job if they could work remotely, a job working for a company in Waterloo. Is that right? Or, or, or do you still find you're restricted geographically? I would say there are still some restrictions and it does depend a lot on the comfort level of the employer sure. um, and, and some of the labor law dynamics between the two yep. countries involved. Mm -hmm. um, labor market impact assessments are still a big barrier for a lot of employers where they yes. don't want to spend the um, money and legal effort required to make a case for that person to be an employee, even a remote employee. Um, there's also a lot of implications in terms of um, accounting and HR policy, uh, employing remote employees in other countries. There are some good resources out there that can help offset those costs. Communitech is doing the outposting service. We've been entertaining the idea of doing some uh, third-party payroll services that could help with that as well and working with local distributed partners to make that happen. Um, but I'm still seeing a lot of, at least the companies that we talk to, having preferences for remote work, but Canadian employees just to minimize some of that legal and uh, human capital and financial overhead required to support distributed workforces. Um, I think to your, to your question, though, we are going to see those preferences and regulations lessening the longer that this goes on and the more that COVID really disrupts what uh, normal work environments look like. Um, and I'm optimistic that in the long term, it is going to be more feasible for people to work from anywhere. Right. All right. We still have a little bit of time left. So before I, I'm going to hog Jack for a bit longer for another question, Kathleen, if you don't mind. Yeah. Up until the COVID thing started, uh, mm -hmm. we had more and more companies hiring uh, <clears throat> call center workers, remote workers, and virtual assistants in India and the Philippines were two big ones that came to mind because you could get highly qualified people who would work for lower wages than a school leaver would accept here in Canada, right? Mm -hmm. So has this, um, has this set that, that whole virtual assistant uh, call center offshore person industry back? Because I mean, it was big, wasn't it? We were talking big numbers. Right. Uh, if anything, I think it's going to help it grow and move forward faster. Yeah. Um, I was watching a webinar from a British economist earlier in the pandemic talking about 
COVID and remote work and work from home trends, essentially democratizing the outsourcing of white collar services, the same right. way that we saw globalization do that for blue collar services mm-hmm. um, in the last couple of decades. And I, I think that if anything, just the, the fact that more managers and directors and team leads are getting comfortable with managing their own teams remotely breaks down some of the barriers and the, the former resistances to hiring um, ancillary workers from other countries. Right. Good one. Good one. Kathleen, I, have one for, I have one for you. I, th- I think we still have a little bit of time. Uh, we do. We, so, we, we have some time. So, Jackie, if I'm an employer and I'm in need of uh, some talent right now, but I'm sitting on the fence because I really don't know who to turn to. What would you say to an employer out there um, that's listening to this, to this call right now? What, what would you say to them to try to pick up the phone and give you a call? Yeah, great question. I think the first and foremost important thing that anybody debating hiring right now should be thinking about is um, a talent needs assessment and a triage of how high a priority is this person or this role, really identifying what is the problem that you need filled and is the best course of action going to be to hire somebody full time or is it going to be to outsource? is it going to be to look at a partnership? And we've been doing a lot of those as like just free consulting sessions with companies to help them kind of navigate that process. And then depending on the outcome, either helping them find that outsourced service or helping them find a candidate. Um, again, with the economic uncertainty, a lot of companies really want to be cautious and careful about allocating those hiring budgets. And we're happy to help them make it as impactful as possible. Uh, I would say the other thing too, is that we've seen over five and a half million people displaced in the Canadian economy by the virus. Mm -hmm. And if you are in a position to even entertain the concept of hiring, this is a good time to be doing it. You can pick up a lot of highly skilled talent quite easily. Um, you may need some help cutting through the noise. And again, that's something that we're happy to help you do. At the end of the day, we do still want to be thinking about that cost of hiring. And depending on how sophisticated your company is, you may not want to have a senior leader spending a lot of time combing through an Excel sheet for candidates. But that's why we offer holistic recruitment services where we can prune down that list and just hand you a manageable number to review. Uh, But early in the pandemic, we were able to pick up some highly qualified people from blue chip companies in a similar capacity for startups and scale ups just because highly trained people are on the market all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. Um, particularly American branch companies, their first rounds of layoffs were typically, um, you know, near shore or overseas branches. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people from large American firms with Canadian offices became available early on and there was great opportunities for startups and scale ups to uh, grab some of that senior premium talent. Ah, interesting, interesting. I've got I've got one. I, I want to go back to the um, labor market disconnect, and I'm I'm going to go back. I don't want to give you a history lesson, but obviously you know that I'm been around for a while. When when I finished my schooling, the number of people who went to university to get a degree were in the minority, right? mm-hmm. and I, I I I did my schooling in Africa of all places, but under a British system, and it was actually quite hard to get into university. There were not enough places for all the people who wanted to go. So mm-hmm. the entry level was high, but the costs were relatively low and there were very few grants. So unless you had parents who could subsidize you or you had a, a part-time job, you didn't go to university, but yep. there was a really good apprenticeship scheme, which I believe existed here in North America too. And lots of people elected to go the apprenticeship or trade route 
and did very well in life. Many of them went on to run their own businesses, earned considerably better incomes than some of the people who'd gone the conventional university route and worked for a bank, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, is, is that something we've lost, do you think, over the, the last 30 or 40 years, that my perception is that the, the image here is unless you have a degree, you've somewhat failed and you're not going to get on in life. And I, and I wonder if we're not forcing some young people into a degree that they're not suited for, don't really want, and denying them an opportunity to have a better career in something else. What, what's your thoughts on that one? Yeah, I mean, you're really preaching to the uh, choir on that one, Peter. I'm very passionate about this topic, and I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I like to call it the concept of uh, credential creep, and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. essentially we have created some systemic biases that heavily favor not just post-secondary education, but academic, formal, university-oriented post-secondary education. And then candidates inside of that ecosystem get seduced to go further and further down the yep. pathway that way into a post-grad and a doctorate, despite there being very few um, you know, teaching roles or anything like that available anymore. And you're absolutely right. We've lost a lot of desire for skilled and talented people to be pursuing trades and internship based approaches. I think mm -hmm. a lot of European countries do a much better job of this yep. in Germany and Switzerland. You have a mandatory apprenticeship before you can even go to pro-secondary and they have them across all kinds of verticals. It's not just blue collar, it's white collar as well. You can be an apprentice banker if you want, but they want you to try something out before you go to school. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. If we look at the uh, education model, the, the public education model that we have in Canada, it's based off of the one that Otto von Bismarck created in the 1800s right. to mass produce factory workers and soldiers, right? Yep. With the concept that public education should uplift everyone to the point where they can meaningfully contribute in the economy. If we look at the Canadian economy, you can't meaningfully contribute without some kind of post-secondary education in this day and age. And we ask students to go into ridiculous debt to do that with very little actionable intelligence on what kind of career paths are even going to be yeah. viable. And in many yeah. cases, the post-secondary institutions have a vested interest in taking them down the wrong path because they make more money doing it. More money. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, if I can, I'll just tell you very briefly, my eldest son, when we were in Africa, I could afford to send him to university. He did well at school and he said, I'm not going. I said, why? He said, dad, I have no idea what I want to do in life. And if I spend thousands of dollars of your money on an education that's the wrong one, I'm just throwing money away. So I said, well, you've got to do something. So he did a, a private college business degree, uh, business diploma. And mm -hmm. then he came to work for me and I sent him at a young age up through Africa doing supervising some loads for me and he had to navigate borders and all that and a few mm -hmm. other things and he, he got a hard time Africa is not an easy place and he said to me recently he's now 46 and just a couple of months ago he said dad that was the best education you could ever have given me because it set me up for what I wanted to do in life and I found out what I didn't want to do and I said to him what are you going to tell your boys to do he said I'm going to tell them all to go and get a trade <laughs> be a plumber or an electrician I just thought I'd pass that on to you. We are getting towards the end of time, and this is where I must hand back to Kathleen again. Well, Jack, uh, let us uh, let our viewers know how to get a hold of you. How do they reach you? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for that. Um, so www.jobjunction.com is our website. That's J-O-B-J-U-N-X-I-O-N. Um, they can also get a hold of me on LinkedIn. Feel free to look me up and connect. I'm always happy to chat. Um, 
yeah, Job Junction website. There's a good overview of all our services on there. Um, some of the professional development ones you might be better off contacting me on LinkedIn for more detailed information about. But mm -hmm. again, happy to chat in either of those mediums. And there is a way to book a call with us on our website as well. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take one minute. We have a couple left. I'm going to take one minute. Jack, for a young person who's just about to finish their first degree in university and looking at this whole scene that we've just been talking about, what, what's mm -hmm. the short piece of advice you would give them right now if someone came to you and said, what should I be thinking about? Yeah. Okay. So how long back are we talking? If they've got a semester left, I would be pushing as hard as possible, get some experiential learning going on the side. Only 20% of Canadians get into co-op, but you can still be working part-time for a company. You need to be differentiating yourself any way you can. Again, as we just spoke, everybody's going to school these days. What are you doing that makes you different? That's what an employer is going to care about. If they're already graduating or in the process of that, I'd say the big focus is expectation management. You may not be able to get into your dream job right now but any job is better than no job they always have some kind of transferable skills that you can apply for the rest of your life i think we talked about that a good bit too yeah um, yeah that's going to be just much more impactful and it's a lot easier to manage that narrative of saying look i rolled up my sleeves and did what i could during this pandemic and that speaks to my character than trying to say well i was just sitting around collecting benefits without yep. doing any kind of professional development or anything and again ah. Very good. You want to talk professional development? Happy to chat about that on LinkedIn anytime. Excellent. So there we are to well, sorry. There we are to our listeners. You've had it from the horse's mouth. Someone who, who's at the coalface on employment. Back to you, Kathleen. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Jack. My goodness, it's been it's been wonderful. What a wealth of information that you have, and I urge any employer out there looking for uh, some talent to reach out to you immediately, and and also for people. For students coming out of university, do please look at Job Junction. Uh, thank you again, Jack, for joining us, and hopefully we'll have you back again. Yeah. And thank to all of you. Thanks to all of you for joining and tuning in to us. And again, please keep your comments coming. We so enjoy reading them. And if anyone out there is interested in being a guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. We'll see you again next time. Thank you. Thanks, Jack. Bye, everyone. Thank you.